smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the Unprecedented Podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. I am your co-host, Cliff Schechter, here with my other co-host or host, John Aravosis. Hey, John. Hello. Hello. Okay. Um, We will be talking shockingly about the election today. Lucky enough to have a great guest to start off the show with us. Uh, We have Victoria Leandra here who is the managing editor, editor, if I can pronounce that word correctly, at the Americano. <laughs> yeah, you got her name right, at least. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a, hey, I got some of that right. Uh, she's a managing editor of the Americano, which is a national digital uh, publication with sort of a, I call it a lean towards communities of color, uh, Latino, Latina community in particular. She's an award-winning producer. Um, uh, she's an expert on socio-political issues uh, for communities of color. And she has, she's formerly of Vice News and has covered all sorts of stories and been on MSNBC and AM Joy and all this great stuff. Thank you for being here, Leandra. Oh, no, I'm sorry, Victoria. I almost called you by your last name. Leandra. <laughs> I like saying it so much because I got it right. Well, we were, joking before, we were joking before the show that we weren't going to get her name wrong. And of course, then we already are. So, there you go. <laughs> that Aravosis was the most and fun Shankers. introduction. And now a word from our sponsor. So, Cliff, did you know yes. that the average American has 97 points that they can add to their credit score and they have did no not. idea how to do it? I did not, nor do I. There you go. Scoremaster is the new credit science that super boosts your credit score. Forget raising your credit score a measly couple points. That's weak. The average Scoremaster user, I love that. That is weak. That's weak. That's, That's weak. weak. <laughs> Loser. The we, average you should ring the goat when you do that, by the way. The goat. Oh, that's right. Yell. That's weird. That's... Hold on. Few points. That's weak. <laughs> there we go. Um, the average scoremaster user raises their credit score 61 points in 20 days or less. That's 61 points. Say your credit score was in the high 500s to mid 600s when you bought that new car. If you'd gone to scoremaster first and raised your first uh, your credit score just the average 61 points, you could have saved nine grand on your car loan. And if you'd gone to Scoremaster before applying for a home loan and raised your score just the average 61 points, you could have saved almost 100 grand over the life of your loan. If you own a business, you know how essential credit is. From getting a loan to funding projects to financing equipment, go to Scoremaster first and see how super boosting your business credit score can save you a fortune. Scoremaster puts you in control of your finances, not the banks. Enroll in minutes and see how many plus points Scoremaster can add to your credit score. Visit scoremaster.com slash offer. That's scoremaster.com slash offer. And now back to our show. Um, we we need to educate um, not just our listeners, but a lot of folks uh, who don't understand and, and kind of look at, you know, the Latino, Latina community as like this monolith that all votes the same and all comes from the same place. It's such an American thing to do. Um, and so I thought talking about these issues with you would be great, particularly as uh, there was there was polling earlier on that showed that the one group that that uh, Joe Biden was having challenges with overall were Latino, Latino voters. It looks like more recently the undecideds have been heading his way, which we consider to be very good news. And that vote is growing in polling I'm looking at. But still, you know, would love to talk to you about what ways, you know, Democrats can speak more to the various communities that, that make up the Latino, Latino community in the United States. And um, and, you know, just politics in general, whatever else you got for us. So thanks again for being here. Of course. 
First, thank you for having me. It's a, a great way to spend our Friday mornings after that town hall last night. Well, so isn't she good? At the same time. <laughs> that was my segue I wanted. I was going to jump in and try to say, hey, can we talk first about the town hall? And she just slipped it in. So <laughs> what we thought was maybe just a few minutes about last night's town hall. Then Cliff and I will be talking about that at the end of the show. Uh, and again, a large part of our discussion with Victoria will be about the Latino vote. But last night, let me read you. Okay, this was good. I was telling Cliff before the show. Let me read you the lead-in sentence of the New York Times story about last night's town hall. Folks out there probably know that Biden and Trump were supposed to debate last night. Trump refused, pulled out. So then uh, ABC scheduled yes. a town hall with Biden. So yesterday, NBC, to be cute, decided to schedule their town hall with Trump to coincide with Biden, just to like play games. So here's the New York Times lead. President Trump spoke positively about an extremist conspiracy theory group, expressed skepticism about mask wearing, rebuked his own FBI director, and attacked the legitimacy of the 2020 election in a televised town hall forum on Thursday. <laughs> and if you watched, it was actually worse than that. Um, what a lead. lead. Oh, yes. Um, I actually did flip back and forth. I was very annoyed because I wanted, well, in a way it ended up being good because I didn't have to watch all of Trump because I watched Trump for about 40 minutes and I was getting so upset and people on Twitter were saying, just change the channel. And I changed the channel and it was like, <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. The only reason for me to watch Trump and then Biden would be like, you know, when you when you run outside into freezing cold below zero weather so that the hot tub feels that much better after. Um, it's, you know, I mean, it's just such torture at this point. I knew what he was going to say. I knew it was going to hurt him. And uh, it seems like I mean, it's, you know, and I'm, I'm not some genius. This is all pretty predictable at this point. It has been for a long time. Right. I mean, he 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 can't be questioned by anyone and particularly a woman questioning him. In Savannah Guthrie, oh my God, you know, like the the righties lost their minds. But what you know, you watch some clips, Victoria. Did you did you you learn anything new? Did you come out more disgusted? Did anything else happen that that changed your mind uh, in a worse way? I would guess. I think the main takeaway for me was the fact that putting both debates or not both debates. The main takeaway for me was the fact that putting both town halls at the same time really did a disservice to the electorate because with these few days up to the election, we really need to be informing people about the policies that they're both proposing. And right. one town hall looked a little bit more like a reality TV show chaos. And the other one was more so about let's sit down and have a real discussion about how I can make your life better. And for me, that's that's the main takeaway of both town halls. One who is taking things seriously and another who refuses to answer the questions that they're being asked with. Right. So you so what you're saying is you don't when you say it's a reality show, the Trump one, you don't fully believe then that that woman who said, Mr. Trump, you're so handsome and you have such a nice <laughs> smile. You're, you don't really believe that was a natural out, outcur, uh, outcome. You think maybe that she was planted. Is that what you're implying? <laughs> I mean, we one of the pe one of the people who were supposed to be oh. an undecided, you know, they. I know what they, you're going to say. Um, Go on. They, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> they were supposed to include undecided voters, and the undecided voters had the opportunity 
to ask Trump questions. And a report came out today that one of the undecided voters was actually pro-Trump. This is the woman who was behind him and was nodding in in the whole process. And he's actually Latina. She she says she is Dominican. She? Uh, Actually Dominican-American because she said... I'm from, don't, don't, it, it's, this is not a quote, but she said something along right. the lines of, I'm Dominican, but I'm American. I'm American. She might have, so it's hard to, yeah. She, just for, if case folks didn't see, literally throughout the entire <laughs> town hall last night, you see Trump's face, most of the camera view, and two women behind him. One woman is watching, the other woman is nodding her head the whole time. And then whenever Savannah Guthrie, the host, would say anything negative about Trump, she'd be shaking her head back and forth. The <laughs> time she was a trump cheering thing and it was, i mean was i didn't as i said i didn't watch the whole thing but i saw the few clips and in every single clip that woman was nodding uh, yeah. and it was it was honestly i mean it's, it's hilarious when you when you go to such lengths and really all you've done is create a meme to make fun of you like if saturday night live doesn't jump on that i'd bet any amount of money in my bank account that, that, <laughs> they will. You're, you're gonna say you're gonna see that this this well, saturday i mean let me use this as a segue victoria but you know, this woman was Latino and she clearly was enthralled with Trump. That's just sort of the norm with the Latino community. You guys love Trump, don't you? I think one this of the things segue, that- This is our segue to discussing the Latino vote. That okay, was a little, okay, a little okay, hard. Perfect. So, <laughs> John's being sarcastic if you can't tell, but, yeah. but go ahead and answer however you will. <laughs> People need to understand that the Latino population, we're not a monolith. So we right. come from all places and we come from different realities we have different ages we have different interests we vote differently that's that's the main the main point so yes there are some that are trump supporters there are some who will be Biden supporters but beyond that the importance of the latino vote is that there's a lot of undecided voters or voters who consider themselves independent so i think that's the beauty of it the beauty is that sometimes democrats for example they think that because you are Latino, you're going to vote a certain way that will favor them. When in reality, you need to start thinking of us as more so on an individual basis and really targeting or not targeting us, but speaking with us with human decency, because the same issues that an American cares, a Latino American cares about. Yep. You know what? Can I ask you real quick what uh, I know that and I mean, let's do generalities here, but I know that Cuban Americans very often tend to be more Republican. Um, are there any other- older generation more so? Let's say okay. Probably, of- yeah, no, I'm just trying to be trying to you know, be specific <laughs> yeah. as possible. Well, but what ahead. I'm kind of curious about though is, are there are there other uh, sub ethnic groups or subnational groups among Latinos in the U.S. that tend to be more conservative uh, in the way that Cubans are? Or once you get beyond Cubans, is it really kind of just a mixture? I think it's mainly Cuban Americans, but at the Americano, we have a video series in which we interviewed young Latina voters and we interviewed the founder of Cubanos con, Cubanos con, what is Cubanos con Biden? Yeah, we interviewed the founder of Cubanos con Biden and she is a 22 year old Cuban American that lives in Florida that she's actually turning out people and going to their houses to register them to vote as well as explain why Biden has better policies than Trump does. So even though we think of Cubanos too 
as Republican leaning, there are some people who can quickly identify um, the rhetoric that Trump has been using on them. I am I I will be using some of, of her quotes, and she said that Trump is exploiting their trauma for votes. So there are some Cuban Americans who who recognize his rhetoric. Right, and I mean, I would think. You know, you look at younger generations. I mean, this happens with all of us, right? I mean, I don't. We don't have the memories that that the the generation before does, and you know that, that they lived through, right? My parents were born during, you know, very young during World War II. Um, you know, and as Jewish Americans during World War II with the Holocaust, that shaped them in a way that I could never fully understand, right? Mm. I think that. Older generations, when Castro was at his sort of strongest point and was such an you know an enemy, and we don't need to get into why and the because the United States certainly played a role in this too. But let's just say we're in the United States and Castro were enemies, and Castro aligned with Russia, then the Soviet Union, I should say. You know, younger generations don't have those memories. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's a different it's a different ball game, and I think we forget that sometimes that that generation to generation these things change. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But and what we- do you? Go ahead, please. And and when we talk about Puerto Rican voters, for example, and their memories, one is the economic crisis in which we've been in for, for quite some time. And then secondly, more vividly, is Hurricane Maria. Hurricane Maria was something that changed our lives completely. Um, and a lot of those voters, or not voters, but a lot of those Boricuas in the island are now in Florida. So now there's an equal amount of Cubans as they are an equal amount of Puerto Ricans in Florida. And we are losing momentum by talking about the Cubans in Florida and not focusing on the Puerto Ricans in Florida that are sort of up for grabs and that they just landed in Puerto Rico. Uh, and I'm talking more so about the the Hurricane Maria mm-hmm. Puerto Ricans because, of course, eh, Puerto Ricans in Florida have been there for for decades. We at the Americano, we call them Floriguas, and we have even a newsletter for them because, <laughs> yeah, right. Floriguas. You know, you you're you're sort of from both places, and in some areas of Florida, you just feel like as if you were in Puerto Rico. It, now, it just feels the same way. Let's just tell people you use the word Boricua for Puerto Ricans. Is that the little frog, or no? How, what What do you mean by that? No, no. Uh, what I mean is other- John speaks some Spanish, so he's trying it out on you. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no. I no, see, no, no, I not see. really. What I'm, well, no, but oh, that's what. The, oh, that's right. He's a cookie. That's right. You guys, yes. you <laughs> use the phrase Boricua to describe a Puerto Rican, and I wanted you just to explain to people why you did that because it may have gone by them. Is that that's yeah, a phrase? So, is a term you guys use to describe yourselves, or what's the? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Puerto Ricans who are born and raised in the island are yeah. very proud of the term Boricua, and basically, it's a term that comes because. Puerto Rico was called Borican. This was the indigenous name oh. of, of the Taino people. So Boricuas is like, you know, you were born and bred in Puerto Rico. You are true native Puerto right. Rican. And then we have other terms like Neo Rican for those um, Puerto Ricans who were born and raised in, in New York, for example. Oh, but yeah, okay. yes, I love the term and I use it all the time. <laughs> I didn't know you guys were Taino. That's interesting. That's a whole other And I have to believe podcast. <laughs> that affects views too, right? Because, I mean, again, mm-hmm. I actually learned basic phrases, you know. I'm going to pronounce it wrong, but I remember like, like what got in the, like burned in my head from taking the subway in New York in the 1970s was mm-hmm. no se apoye contra la puerta, 
right? <laughs> I used to see it everywhere, and it would like jumped out at me because you know I'm I'm this 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 English speaking guy growing up in New York, and here's the Spanish phrase, and it wasn't the, that way in the, most of this country yet, where you had the Spanish alongside the English. And what people don't know is because you're right, they think often Mexican or you know in Southwest, and they think Cuban in Florida, but we already had large numbers of of Puerto Ricans coming and settling in the United States in the New York New Jersey area in the right. 50s and 60s, right? I mean. This was a thing. Am I correct? Yeah. Or, I think I hope I am. Well, they were there. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, like, you know, do you think that that changes folks' outlook, whether they were born and have been here a generation or two versus just 100%. coming here? A hundred percent. A lot of Latinos consider what a candidate has to say about their native country and vote in regards to that. So, for example, in Puerto Rico, um, not in Puerto Rico, but for example, um, uh, the the Puerto Rican population in Florida, they are very interested in what Trump and Biden have to say about the local politics of the island. One, because they still have people there, so they still have family there, right. but also because some of them have this notion that they will return back, uh, return to the island. So they deeply care about what's happening there even though they are not there still and this is what happens to with venezuelans in florida as well as as cubans in florida for example i've i've known people who moved to the u.s but are still registered voters in puerto rico so so you know you have to convince them to sort of of understand you know, that okay you're here now so register you know, to vote here you know it's funny what you're what you were describing i was going to say it very much sounds like the immigrant experience, even though Puerto Ricans are already Americans. Yep. But it yep, still sounds yep. like you move over here, you sort of integrate more, you still care about back home. But I mean, I think of my family being Greek or, or other ethnic groups, but you still have this attachment to where you came from that you're very strongly interested. But it's interesting. Mm -hmm. You guys really are in a very interesting position because you're Americans. But since you don't get the vote and you don't get lots of other things, it's it, you are and you're not. In some exactly. You know, Puerto Ricans in the island cannot vote for the U.S. president. But once you move, once you have a zip code from here, that's when you can vote for the person who ultimately decides what happens in Puerto Rico. So really, the vote, in my opinion, the vote here in the U.S. counts so much more because that's the person who ultimately has the, the, the upper hand in Puerto Rico because of our colonial status. And now a word from our sponsor. There's so many changes going on in the world nowadays. It feels like every day there's something new. But there's one thing you can count on, John. It's that looking good makes you feel good. And we could all use a little bit of that. If you have <laughs> yeah. under eye bags, dark circles, or crow's feet, and I'm not letting up number 11s now just because nope. it's not here. I'm mentioning nope. number 11s. Imagine they're gone without making an appointment or leaving the house. It's called Plexiderm. It's a clinically studied serum. It visibly reduces the signs of aging in 10 minutes and lasts up to 10 hours. I'll let you all do the math on that. Um, you've seen the before and after photos, photos on TV and social media. Add some confidence in your life knowing you look your best, even if you're having a makeup-free day. Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it, unless you tell them, of course. That's why guys like it. And Plexiderm works great with oil-free makeup. Today, order. You can try a six-day application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit. All right, here we go, guys. www.buyplx.com backslash voices. That's www.buyplx.com backslash voices. 
or call 800-685-1292 and give the code voices. Order today and shipping is free and backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, make those wrinkles and lines and under-eye bags. And number 11, disappear with Plexiderm. Visit www.buiplx.com backslash voices or call 800-685-1292 and say the code voices at checkout. So, Cliff, did you know yes. that the average American has 97 points that they can add to their credit score and they have did no not. idea how to do it? I did not, nor do I. There you go. Scoremaster is the new credit science that super boosts your credit score. Forget raising your credit score a measly couple points. That's weak. The average Scoremaster user, I love that. That is weak. That's weak. That's, That's weak. weak. <laughs> Loser. The well, average you score should bring the goat when you do that, by the way. The goat. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's... Hold on. Few points. That's weak. <laughs> um, the average scoremaster user raises their credit score sixty-one points in twenty days or less. That's sixty-one points. Say your credit score was in the high five hundreds to mid six hundreds when you bought that new car. If you'd gone to Scoremaster first and raised your first uh, your credit score just the average sixty-one points, you could have saved nine grand on your car loan. And if you'd gone to Scoremaster before applying for a home loan and raised your score just the average sixty-one points, you could have saved almost a hundred grand over the life of your loan. If you own a business, you know how essential credit is. From getting a loan to funding projects to financing equipment, go to Scoremaster first and see how super boosting your business credit score can save you a fortune. Scoremaster puts you in control of your finances, not the banks. Enroll in minutes and see how many plus points Scoremaster can add to your credit score. Visit scoremaster.com slash offer. That's scoremaster.com slash offer. And now back to our show. Can we talk a little bit about Biden and the, the, the Latino vote? Because I'm totally. really curious, you know, Cliff mentioned in the intro, and I can put a little finer point on it, that I think some in the media were trying to make it sound worse than it is. But it is true that Biden is getting the lion's share of the Latino vote in the states here in the states. I mean, obviously, where else would the vote be coming from? Um, <laughs> the, meaning nationwide, I mean. But but when you look at the numbers, he seems to be doing not nearly as well with Latinos as Hillary and previous Democrats did. Do you have any sense of why that? Well, is? Let me make an important point, though, to, or, yeah. before you ask, John, because yeah. this is important and it's just data based sure. over the last week or two from what I've been seeing. Now, there still is. As as Victoria is saying, obviously, a large group uh, of overall Latino, Latina voters that are undecided. I think it's still in the poll I saw is still at 12 percent. But the is difference that, is that was, high based historically. Um, I don't know that that is at this point, uh, but I, I, and we can I'll ask Victoria what she knows about this in a second. But but what, what I do know is a month ago, Biden in some of these polls was in the high 50s. And Trump was in like the low to mid 20s. And a lot of people are saying, oh, my God, he's underperforming. There's so many undecideds. What you've seen happen, like you've seen happen with other voters, it's been what we've seen everybody after Trump's first debate and the COVID diagnosis and how he handled it and everything is mm -hmm. you've seen. And I've, I've seen this in a couple polls where Biden's numbers have now gone from high 50s to mid to high 60s, much closer to traditional. You know, and and Trump has and Bi Trump has not moved at all. He's still in the low twenties. So the last one I saw was sixty six twenty two, Biden with twelve percent undecided. That's actually a much better number. So I just want to throw that context in there, which is Biden wasn't doing nearly as well. He seems to be doing better over the last few weeks, and 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 some of those movers are moving towards him. What are your thoughts on all of that, Victoria? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One of the things that sometimes us people and in, in politics, right, sort of lose 
side off is the fact that many Latinos are the essential workers. You know, they are the 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 people who are working a lot of a, a lot uh, the the people who are working long hours in order to get food in the table, and right. that they're really not paying attention to the things that we may be paying attention to. So maybe they're not paying attention to the election until it's really time to pay attention to the election. So like a week in advance, for example. And also the fact that one of the primary reasons that Latinos are sort of mobilizing to the polls is the economy as well as the coronavirus response because they had both affected them very, very di directly. Latinas in the U.S., they are the group that... that um, they are the group most affected by unemployment, for example. So they don't have time to really think about Trump versus Biden. They have time to think about where's, where's food going to come from next. Right. So, or, you know, where I am going to get that next paycheck. So I think after we find, after we take a look at that again, when you think about what has happened with COVID and Trump and Biden, it really makes a lot of sense that now Latinos will be paying a little bit more attention to Biden because clearly he has handled it much better. And he actually has a plan as to what he's going to do to get the country back up as opposed to Trump. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, those who are, who are sort of dealing with the most challenges here need, you know, need to hear those plans more clearly. And I think when he gets up, I, I think he's, it's cost him you know, undecided African-American voters. I think it's cost him undecided white working class voters when he's got, you know, when, when, when Trump's gotten up in this debate and acts like a lunatic and doesn't really answer any questions, what are you left to do? Right. I mean, I'm going to assume a fact here by saying this. I think Trump's kind of racist, um, <laughs> but especially towards Latinos among others, doesn't his racism sort of cut through everything for Latino. I mean, I'm just intro I'm intrigued by this because I feel like I'm not Latino. I'm not black. Right. So I can't, I am gay though. So like when there's anti-gay stuff <laughs> through a lot of other politics, when somebody goes anti-gay, I don't care if you agree with me on a lot of other stuff, I'm going to kind of get pissed at you, frankly. And I, I just wonder, are, are you, I think a lot of people who aren't Latino might think, well, God, he's been so racist towards Latinos, whether it's immigration, whether it's that crazy stuff he said about Mexicans, the crazy stuff he said about the Mexican-American judge who couldn't be fair because he's Mexican. You know, just all the stuff he said. He tried to sell Puerto Rico to Greenland or Denmark or whatever. I mean, he's <laughs> right. He wanted to make a trade for Greenland. Yes. Yeah, he was going to get rid of Puerto Rico. Isn't there... Does that not cut through for Latino voters where he's just such a racist? I guess that I'm intrigued that they would even want to see more details on the rest of the stuff because I'd just be so livid at the guy. Mm -hmm. were, you know, I don't know if I'm phrasing I think that well, for, yeah. for Latinos, if you look at the actions that Trump has taken that have impacted the, the Latino community, you, you'll see a, 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 a wide range of things, right? You will see the constant verbal attacks that you've mentioned, you'll see the family separation policy that impacted more than 5,000 children um, that were coming in the, uh, through the Mexican voter, border. You will see mm -hmm. the DACA recipients who are now sort of without um, 
protection that he actually mentioned this in the tall tone hall yesterday he defended his 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 policy changes so when you look at his policies not what he not 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 only what he says but also what he does and when you look at when you compare that with another candidate and what they say they will do then i think there's your answer i think <clears throat> i need some water <laughs> um, <laughs> Get there's there's your answer i think latinos should really sit down and look at what they what and and compare the history of the candidates policies as well as what they're proposing and that's something that we as a newsroom we always sit down with how can we explain this to people how can we inform the electorate how can we give this in an arroz con habichuela way that's the way that we call it we're we're all we're from all different ethnicities in in the newsroom but the way we say it is in arroz con habichuela in rice and beans you know tell them five things that biden is doing five things that trump is doing as it pertains to the latino community and when you translate that you you serve that to the public and hopefully they become more engaged and more involved in the political process because most likely they're not the ones sitting down watching the whole debate I mean, the, the last debate that we watched, what what really did we learn from that debate? I, I didn't hear much about policy. I learned that somebody probably needed to be on a larger set of um, sedatives than they've been on and maybe need to – maybe somebody needs a little more sleep and a little bit less steroids. But that's about it <laughs> um, that I was able to pick up. No, no, I mean, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, making fun of it. But what could you have learned about what Trump really believes from that, mm -hmm. quite honestly? My my dad, who is in Puerto Rico still, he was watching the debate. And he texted me, I am ashamed that this is the person running the best, the, the what did, did he say? Um, not the best country in the world, but, but the the most prosperous country of the world, something along those lines. My, my, my dad texted me, I am ashamed that this is the man who's running the most prosperous country in the world and that I cannot vote for him. Imagine you being a Puerto Rican in the island, affected directly by these policies and not being able to vote. It, yeah, that would frustrate me soft. pretty badly. Yeah. No, I mean, like I, I in DC, but but even worse because at least we get to vote for a representative who can't well, who can't really vote. By the way, anyway, a representative. Well, they do too. I think in Puerto Rico, they send a representative, don't they? But you got but there's no same, voting power. It's the same exactly. BS. Right. I think right. the only advantage you get, John, is you at least get three electoral votes for president in DC. Yeah, which I mean, which doesn't matter because DC is like ninety percent Democrat, but that's still. It's well, it matters because those are three electoral yeah. votes, and three right. electoral votes oh, are three. And electoral you're right. Votes. You could lose by one. So no, right. that's but it's. It's a very strange, it's very strange. And I even, but again, even worse for you guys in a way, because again, visiting Puerto Rico or I visited Virgin Islands, same thing. It was yeah. very strange to think of this as part of the US because, well, that's a whole other discussion because we don't treat you guys as equals. No. I mean, we don't. And, and my God, even what's her name? The Trump uh, son's mistress, well, I guess now, now girlfriend, uh, Guilfoyle. She was even talking about. Remember when she said her mother immigrated from Puerto Rico? We were even I was. Yeah, we don't point. immigrate. We don't. We're not yeah. immigrants. She was American. She didn't immigrate. <laughs> you know, yeah. even Guilford doesn't even know, and she's yep. half Puerto Rican and she doesn't know. And it's and you know, or so she says. 
and, yeah, and well, I know, like, go, yeah. we talked to you off air that the, there's no doubt that conversations about statehood and that kind of stuff need to be broader. And there's a lot of factors on all sides. And it's not just an easy, um, you know, easy answer. I will say, you know, in terms of I'll just speak to how what I witnessed when I lived in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And, and that was 1997, how territories versus states are treated because of their lack of power. I mean, there were still places that were down structures, you know, in, in the U.S. Virgin Islands, which, again, a lar- very large African-American population. Uh, you've got an indigenous, you know, mixed population. I mean, you know, populations that sadly our Congress doesn't care about overall. More and more as we elect a, a more diverse group, but 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 sadly traditionally did not. And, you know, Hurricane Andrew, you know, when I, we were talking about Maria, which was devastating for St. Thomas, was in 1992. And I was there in the summer of 97. And at that point, there were still structures down. There were roads that couldn't be crossed, things that could not be, that had not been fixed five years later. And I just, I have to believe it's because they didn't care. And they knew that there wasn't, there there was no representation. There was no member of Congress who had voting power to scream and yell about. There's no electoral votes. So they just said, screw them. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, the Republicans did anyhow. And, And so that's, why I think we have to have these conversations of, of how it is we can make sure whether it's Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico or U.S. Virgin Islands. And quite frankly, a few other places like Guam, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and American Samoa, that 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 if you're going to pay ta- federal taxes to the United States and you're going to to, you know, rely on the United States when a Hurricane Maria hits for relief, there has to be some way that you have the power to demand that. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and we need and to I figure think- that out. The only way in which we are demanding that power now is by moving to the U.S. For example, now this year, I'm sure you know this, but this year there's a projected 32 million Latinos who are eligible to vote. That's the biggest racial or ethnic minority ever to, to participate in a presidential election. I wouldn't call that a minority, but that's another conversation, right? right. Um, but Latino... Turnout doesn't always translate, right? The, the the numbers doesn't always translate into turnout. So really, what politicians should be doing in order to get those votes that are up for grabs, it's not simply showing up when the election is about to roll in. So do not show up five months in advance. Be there. Be present in the community be engaging with the community and really care, deeply care about the issues. It's it's really not that much to ask. If you're if if your job is to serve the people, then get to know the people, do it. get to know their issues, and do more than simply say a few words in Spanish, you know? El Baño. Now vote for me. That kind of thing. Yeah, right. no, both of me, muchas gracias. You know, no. <laughs> Yo quiero una cerveza. Now vote. You would get a Beto. Remember, Beto <laughs> kept switching to Spanish during his debates. It was, anyway, you could do that too. Although he at least he spoke it, which is not. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, look, I, I well, Beto, I don't know how good, you know, may, maybe Victoria can can answer. I don't know how good his accent was, but he, I think he was fluent in Spanish, if I, if I remember correctly. So he did actually speak more than a few words. His accent may have been, you know, like when when I lived in France and the, the they would always be like, oh yeah, French in New York, 
you know, is how they describe my accent. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe Beto had, had something like Jewish that going on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, no, no, you're not, you're not quite pronouncing it right. Uh, so maybe they had, maybe there was that kind of a criticism. I don't know, but um, you know, it, it's still better than most. Um, I think that's, you know, I think that's everything we, we wanted to ask Victoria. Um, and we've held you on now almost 40 minutes, even longer than you promised us. So I think <laughs> you're awesome. I really appreciate your being here and all you're doing. Um, Everybody, you really should go read the Americana. What's the best uh, way to get there as quickly as possible? The URL. Uh, it is theamericanonews.com. And there's a top that says newsletter. So if you are Puerto Rican in Florida, please join our newsletter. I, we, I, I write the newsletter. But if you're not a Puerto Rican in Florida and you want to know the issue, more about the issues that we care about, or simply want to know what's happening locally on the ground, join our newsletter so that you can be better informed and, 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 and you can have these ongoing conversations. We didn't mention this, but, but, la but yesterday was the last, last day of Hispanic Heritage Month. So I appreciate that you're keeping the conversation going on, on the importance of the Latino vote beyond the Hispanic Heritage Month, you know, because Latinos... Oh, are always here and, and <laughs> contribute greatly to to the country. So well, it's unlike Republicans, we appreciate that you're here. Yes, and, uh, yes. Part of our diversity and part of what actually makes the country great and interesting. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so thank you so much for all you do. Go visit the Americano folks. Um, Victoria, what's your what's your uh, Twitter handle for if people want to follow you? You can find me at Leandra Reports, and I said that with my with a with my American accent, but that's L E A N D R A Reports. <laughs> Leandra, Leandra, Leandra Reports, that kind of thing. There we go. <laughs> Thanks so right. much for being here. Take care, and, and look forward to hopefully speaking to you again soon. Thanks, Victoria. Thank you, and have a good weekend. Right, you too. Bye. Bye bye. Ah, well, that was lovely. Well, she's um, great. So she's great. And we're going to spare her the rest of the discussion, which was a little bit more about that freaky town hall and then polls, yes. polls, polls, and where we're going. A little bit more John and I being John and I because uh, – Oh, God. So okay. that was fucking nuts. Oh, my God. Okay, so like I said, I felt uh, – people were like, why are you watching Trump? I felt obliged to watch Trump because I kind of felt like, you know, it's my job. You're, Amer um, you're American, man. American? What do you mean? To watch Trump? No, yeah. yeah I was yeah, trying to exactly. use the, the, the form of – you know, the fuck uh, yeah. The fuck the, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, there's no A. You're A-American, as in yeah. the apostrophe, a, capital M. Mer no, I mean, America. I, anyway, I respect yeah. you for that. I felt like through the uh, Aaron Rupar and some of those other folks that I would end up seeing the for clips I needed to see. It was awful. It was yeah, awful. And, and honestly, I, saw I, thought, I thought, uh, I thought the, uh, I thought Savannah Guffrey sucked. Interesting. Um, a lot of people actually were, you know, and again, I didn't see enough, so I have no opinion on this, but it seems like most of the people who I saw thought that she'd actually done a really good job of pushing back on him I know, and, and really, frankly, asking him difficult questions, even as he kept trying to, but I, you, I think what, you explain why, because you well, watched no, I th more Again, I mean, look, a lot of people disagreed. Maybe I'm wrong, but, you know. It, well, I'll, well, I'll just say quickly, this is an important moment, John. You being more pissed off, no, but it is oh. you being more pissed off at a member of the mainstream media than oh, me. than, than people in general. Yeah, that's no, me. Yeah, I'm the you're the one usually trying to calm me down in the New York Times and places here's, like that. Okay, here's <laughs> what I didn't like. I think 
I think too many people in the media and the public at large, they're looking at stuff in writing and going, well, when, you know, when Trump said 85% of people that wear masks get COVID anyway, she pushed back and said, well, you're taking that study out of context. That's not what it said. No. What happened was Trump said, it's the mask. It's the mask. They don't work. 85% say don't work. They don't work. They don't work. And she goes, well, actually, that's out of context. And she says it really soft. And she goes, no, they don't work. And then she jumps to another topic. That's what fucking happened. I'm sorry. She did not say, well, shit, Mr. President, stop, stop. You took that. So it was much like the first debate with Chris Wallace. Yes. But but again, and and this is important, I want to say this at some point. Wait, wait. But she doesn't have Chris Wallace's gravitas or balls. I'm sorry. She sat there. No, I used that on purpose. She was zero backbone. She let him run over her, and it felt like a guy was running over a woman is what it felt like, and that she didn't want to stand up for herself. I'm sorry. Hey, everyone, get John's email address when you send in your comments on the show. It ticks me off, though, because (laughs) – we'll get back to that. But, I mean, it ticks me off because, yeah, you look at the print of the – oh, well, she pushed back. She didn't fucking push back. She pushed back the way they always do. He's rambling. She kind of says one or two things while he's rambling, and then it moves on to another topic, and you're going, you fucking let him say that. Let me me make two points here. Two points. One – the one clip I did see, I actually, you know, and maybe this is why I, I didn't get the same impression as you. I actually thought she did a good job when it came to the, the QAnon part. Yeah. Um, not only did she sit yeah. there and say, yeah, say and yeah. he's like, well, I just retweeted. It. I mean, it's up for people to decide. And she's like, but you're the president. You're not somebody's crazy uncle. Crazy uncle. That was good. like she like yeah. that was good. And the fact that she actually kept asking him, like, why don't you ask Joe about Antifa, Antifa, whatever. And she's like, I'm talking to you. This is your town hall. Like I, I you know, I thought that, that the, yes. the way she at least handled that question. The second one is, you know, and this is a Chris Wallace, and this is an NBC question. This is all of it, which is I was pissed as shit at Chris Wallace. I'll never, you know, forget. And then I saw the way people reacted to it, and they reacted the same way I did. Right, which it was ended up almost, which in it, a way, it, right, it had the it, it ended up working out. That in so, retrospect, you say Chris Wallace, he was destroyed by the Chris Wallace debate. So even though- the danger here's yeah. here's my bigger issue. Um, in the end, because because Kamala Harris is so good and comes off as so likable, she still was considered by most people to, uh, who you know, well, the majority who looked at that debate. Right. I think ten, any poll you looked at in between ten to fifteen points, people said she won. It should have been eighty to twenty, and these are the things that used to drive me crazy with. George W. Bush, for example, whatever, which is if a Republican can say batshit crazy things but and interrupt but seem to do it in a little bit of a nicer, more respectful way, right. that's when they're dangerous. Right. The thing about Trump is, is he's such a fucking asshole, and there's no other way to put it. He is such a dick that it, you know, he 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 just keeps yelling and screaming and brings up these these little inside the right wing bubble phrases that nobody else knows what they mean, yeah. you know, names and places and whatever people are like, what are you talking about? Yeah. That I think in the end, even though, and, and this is, I'll make this a broader point because I, I was going to make it just about NBC, even though I said that what NBC did there was absolutely despicable. And it oh. was, this yeah. guy chose to not debate and the punishment for not acting like an adult in a democracy and not letting people see both candidates talk right. to each other and decide which one's better for them should be, you don't get airtime. You get, when they're like, well, we have to give them equal time. No, you know, right. he gave up his equal time right. when he right. chose to not show up. Right. Um, so I was pissed as hell. And I think the precedent it sets is awful. Now, yeah. thankfully, yeah. so many yeah. people yeah. reamed them from actual actors on the network and producers, yeah. important people there came out and ripped them, which I think makes a difference. 
you know but, what and oh, let me just finish this yeah, point though. Yeah, yeah. And I would say the same thing about Savannah Guthrie then and Chris Wallace, which is normally what they did, and frankly, what uh, Lisa Page did is a serious problem. Our our moderators have still not gotten to the point where they have the guts of some of these Australian, Irish, and other journalists where they're just like, shut the – I mean, they say it a nicer way, but basically, I'm not letting you get away without answering this question. No, no, you're not continuing my show. You know, where Mehdi Hassan does it sometimes, where you just shut them up. I'm almost done, John. I just want to make the point. So I do. I think this is a broad point to make, though, which is like you've got the fact that that Wallace, NBC, and Savannah Guthrie – it sounds like did not handle this well, and we have to worry about the future. But last thing I'll say on this: in this particular case, the more you let Donald Trump talk right now, the more people hate him. And so, in this way, yeah. it did us a favor. This okay. That's what I was going to jump in on. You might be right, and I because you got me thinking about this as you were talking. What upset me about what she did last night, how she handled it, and even Mike Wallace to uh, to. Uh, Chris Wallace, Chris Wallace. Did no, no, that's not a big mistake. What, and frankly, NBC's decision to even hold it, uh, the town hall opposite Biden's, is in 2016, we all thought Trump would be you know, hoisted on his own petard, so to speak. Oh, all the coverage they're giving him is great because it's a train wreck. People You're will right. think how crazy he is. And what it did was it gave him 10 times more media coverage than the other candidates. And for whatever reason, it convinced people he was serious and he won. And that's what worries me when I see shit like this, because I see reporters either not pushing back or pushing back in a very weak T, weak need, weak backbone kind of way. The only thing is maybe this time around, for some reason, his hysterical and i mean that in the crazy way his hysterical you know rantings aren't helping him and they're finally backfiring no there's no but, doubt they, they're hurting I mean, was, like but that's what was freaking me out was I, understand. I, I felt like oh my god we're back in 2016 where the elites like us think oh look at what a fool he's making of himself and what we're really doing is giving him free time to convince the crazies but you're right if you look at what so, happened even with chris wallace it it seems to have blown up in his face, and so far, the impression seems to be that he didn't do well. And she I don't, did. and I don't think it's so far. I don't think it's going to change, and this is why I'm yeah. looking at you know, I, I like you. So as I said, you know, oh, you like in me. general, I like you, John. In general, I was pissed it, because the precedent it sets as so yeah. often what these people do. The president they set precedent. The unprecedented. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they said when, when they sit there and they let these folks, they let Trump or Pence talk over them. When they let them talk over the other person there and ignore the rules they agreed to. When they, you know, when all the shit they do, you know how all that drives me nuts. The both sides shit. I mean, I reamed Jake Sherman. He apologized, by the way. You may have seen that <laughs> on on uh, on on Twitter and erased his tweet because I basically did you see what I tweeted at him? Oh, I have no, to tell, tell people you. tell people what we're talking he, about. He that retweeted one. that ridiculous New York Post story, which literally it tells you what an absolute piece of shit the New York Post should should you know. I used to think, look, it's a tabloid, it's a crappy paper, but it wasn't. Even though it was a crappy paper, it wasn't Breitbart in terms of yeah. just making things up. It wasn't what you know. It wasn't uh, you know. Pick another. I don't even know them all. Daily Wire, Daily Caller. They're all daily something or other. They yeah. all suck, you know, and they're all garbage. Um, but but this story clearly 
there is absolutely no uh, sourcing to them that tells them that this supposed computer they found these emails on, and they've already, the Washington Post has already looked it over and said it's a, I think they came to the conclusion it's a forgery. Well, okay, the, just, I mean, these are emails between Biden. I don't want to tell, you know, I don't even want to spread the no, story. No, no, they're, just tell people they're supposedly Hunter Biden, Biden. they're supposedly corrupt, you know, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden emails, Ukraine. Yeah. You get the story. Ukraine, first. and it's all it's, bull. And, it's all and garbage. It, it was a laptop that he took to be repaired, and the repair guy decided to make a copy of his laptop. Right. Going, and the amazing oh, thing is, even if everything they said true. were true, every even if everything it, they yeah. said were true about this, it wouldn't approach Donald Trump going to China and having Ivanka yeah. leave with like yeah. 35 trademarks. But it's also it, clearly it, a lie of a story. I mean, the guy right. made a copy of the laptop, and then he decided rather than calling the FBI, he'd call Rudy Giuliani, and you're just going – Oh, so the laptop repair guy made a copy of the laptop, which, of course, they always do, decided to go through it, read your personal emails, call up Rudy. How Who just happens to be in Delaware. I mean, it all, you know. Yeah, it's how just, does the laptop repair guy in buttfuck, bumblefuck America know Rudy Giuliani? Oh, Most of that is more likely to be true. It's, yeah. Okay, so, so. Anyway, yes. So, to, to, I mean, so Jake you know, shared the story. And I, you know, and like others, I would wish I could find my tweet because I was like, because um, he said, you know, is the Biden campaign going to respond to this? And I and basically well, what I said was, yes, that. Jake, they also need to respond. Um, you know, they also need to respond. Oh, what was it I said? Uh, I said to the misuse of, of weaponry laundered through Benghazi, dropped off after Fast and Furious in Benghazi while they were wearing tan suits. The, the, the green tech they used, to, they exploited from Solyndra. I mean, you know, it was along the lines of every stupid right-wing conspiracy that no one needs to answer because they're garbage. And Sherman, of course, a day later apologizes, but he still shared it until the Twitter shut him down. Thankfully, Twitter actually acted right about this to his quarter million followers. Okay, so I usually get really pissed about all that stuff, the both sides or whatever. And that's all dangerous for our democracy because a smarter, as we've said many times, he's smarter, better behaved fascist is going to come along. I mean, frankly, there's one sitting right there. I would be much more worried if Mike Pence were at the top of the ticket. He's every bit as loathsome and evil, but knows to say gracious things and sound nice. And even though he interrupts and still is Mr. White guy, he comes off nothing like Donald Trump. All right. But but the difference is, and, and uh, you've seen it in data. You may remember looking back at 2008, Obama was leading McCain by two or three points. And then the, the economic crisis hit and McCain said, I'm suspending my campaign. And if you looked at a, at a chart, you just saw McCain's numbers literally plummet. Yeah. All right. Well, right after that debate, you know, uh, Biden was consistently leading by anywhere between six and nine points. Right. I think at that point, the average at, at, at 530 was about seven and a half, something like that. And Trump plummeted to the point where the lead is now approaching 11 points on average at, at 538. And, you know, the different the, the, th the thing that changed is, you know, the data seems to be saying, from what I can tell, there's three major differences. One is uh, Donald Trump was, is, is somebody who is more amusing when you first see the act. You figure, oh, he's just being a dick for a campaign. Hey, that's funny. I don't think anybody's going to help me anyhow who's elected. Let's try this guy, right? That's the first thing. Is and and then four years later, you're like, that's not. Why can't this guy ever act seriously? I think that's the least of the three reasons. The second one, and probably the most one of the, the two most important ones, is they've now had four years to see what he's done, and you and I will never find his racist bullshit and his obnoxiousness charming, but to certain voters that do. It was a lot more charming when a family member or friend hadn't lost their job, died of COVID, uh, hadn't lost their health care because of the, what these guys had done and all the rest. 
they're, you know, hadn't lost their farm because of his stupid trade war, hadn't lost their factory jobs, which he told them to buy a house in the area because he was going to bring back and he didn't. All the lies are coming home to roost. And suddenly, when you can't figure out how to pay your mortgage, when you can't figure out how to how to de- to, to care for a family member who has COVID, when you can't figure out you know how you're going to pay the bills in general, it's really not funny anymore to them. It's not amusing in the slightest. Right. Um, that's important. Uh, so that's the second thing. And you've seen it because you're seeing these interviews, Republican voters against Trump and these other people are doing where you've got these farmers, these you know, the you know, types of people that should be Trump voters who are like horrified that they supported Trump. And they're like, I, it was the biggest mistake of my life, all of that. And you see that in polling because they're a large contingent of them, okay? Finally, in the third thing, and this is a combo of reasons too, is the difference between Biden and Hillary. And some of it is fair and some of it's unfair. Some of it is, is flat out pure sexism that people would not give Biden, uh, Hillary the chance they should have. Some of it is just the fact that, that Biden performs better on a stage than Hillary does. You can, if you watch that thing the other night, you could see the empathy come through. John, I don't know how much of it you watched or didn't watch to Biden's, but like yeah. every time someone asked him a question, he thanked them. He wanted to talk to them after their time was over. You could see him still yeah. talking to people when the show was over. Like, you know, and it's not to say Hillary's bad. I don't, I mean, I think there's worse. You know, I think you could say that she, she was better at that stuff than John Kerry or Mitt Romney. Right. But Biden has an empathy factor that that, you know, you can and he's so likable and he comes off as this kind of regular guy. And to a lot of these guys, working class for white folks, you know, rural white people, you can see in the numbers because he's anywhere between six and 10 points outperforming Hillary among those two groups. And that's a huge thing, too. So those are all the differences. So I would have agreed with you because four years ago I was that elitist like you, I suppose, was like, yeah, show them more. And it didn't help us because I think yeah. a lot of these folks for their, thought they had no other place to go. They're going to vote for, and they found it amusing. Right, no longer find it amusing. Let's pivot away from this. I nope. let's talk some more. Uh, I mean, we've already been going for a while, but we haven't really gotten enough into it. Um, anything new electorally in the last couple of days? There may not be, though, as far as the polls and all of that. I would I think- only say that that to see a poll now that has Biden up in one of two places, either only up by single digits or below the 50% mark is an outlier. That at this point, you're seeing polls that between 10 and 17 points on both ends. Um, And you're seeing, um, you're seeing, well, that's one thing you're seeing too. He's almost always above 50%. And as we all know, if you're above 50%, you don't need to win one more swing voter, you could lose literally every single undecided voter and you're still going to win over 50% if they, if you just keep what you've got. But then there's a third factor, as we all know, the electoral electoral college. And sometimes those polls seem to lag for whatever bit, but if you've read Nate Silver or other folks lately, you've seen that those have been catching up with the national. So Florida, which was at two to three uh, has now been more in the four to six range, which is where it was back in the yeah. August or somewhere. Uh, North Carolina, which I don't remember ever being more than one to two, is now in the three to five range. Georgia, which uh, was showing, I'd say, either Trump up or or tied, maybe Biden up by one. I mean, one came out that showed Biden up by seven. I don't believe that <clears> one for a second, the Quinnipiac. But, but um, for the most part, I have seen uh, one or two, four and five point polls and a bunch of others, two to three. It's somewhere I, I believe, think that's believable. So, yeah, I mean, the states have moved, too. And the same with Senate. The big thing that's going on with the Senate races is the amount raised, the ridiculous since Ruth Bader Ginsburg 
you know, amount of money that has been raised by Senate candidates and the Biden campaign overall, they just broke another record. I think they raised $380 million in, in September. Here's it, the one important message. I'll, I'll, if in, I'm happy to pivot to anything else, John, is that finally Mitch McConnell may be getting hoisted on his own fucking petard. And if he does and the election turns out the way it could, I will be the happiest person. This is a person who has devoted his whole turtle life to defanging any campaign finance laws. He, you know, he, he has engineered things because his belief always was that if they could raise unregulated big money, then they would control the world always and they would win. They did not account for the internet and for Act Blue. They did not account for the fact that yeah. angry Democrats who can give $5 and five, one day and then 10 the next and then three the next and then whatever as things keep happening can overwhelm his big money donors. And it's been quite a thing to see. I mean, when you yeah. see Jamie Harrison, you see Cunningham, you see MJ Hagar, I think just raised like $14 million this month. You know, and now that race is, is moving closer to being a toss up. I mean, in Texas, like that, this is all stuff that, that you know, in a way we've answered them with small dollar fundraising. So let me just jump in. There's it's interesting looking at the polls of the last three days since we podcasted. It is a sea of blue, meaning blue, the Democrats ahead in Senate polls with two exceptions, but even the two exceptions go back and forth. The only exceptions in the last couple of days are Graham and Purdue, uh, South Carolina and Georgia, but it depends which poll you look at, right? You know, like Purdue, for yep. example, there's Purdue plus three, but there's also an Ossoff plus six the same day from Kanupiak. Right. Yep. So that, that's interesting. Um, you know, Graham, yeah, Graham plus six in a New York Times poll. But there's uh, Kelly, three polls showing Kelly ahead by 5, 10 and 11 in Arizona. Mark Kelly versus mm -hmm. Martha McSally. There's a um, Sarah Gideon ahead of Susan Collins in Maine by seven. Yeah, she uh, seems in a few polls have pulled away a little bit, from, which yep. makes me happy. Uh, Gary Peters in Michigan ahead by six, which is really important, really important Senate race that we haven't talked a lot about. But there's some concern. The Republican is uh, John. Is it Jones? James. Maybe? James is an African-American Republican is picking up support. So there's growing concern about we've got to also donate and support Peters. Um yep. Shaheen, we don't care. Virginia is fine. North Carolina, Cunningham plus two, Cunningham plus four versus yep. uh, Tillis. So that's close still, but but still. But on average, right? um, there, there, at least the ones I've seen on average, uh, you have to look at what it is. Plus two, if that's a recent one, um, I haven't seen anything that close. So that's interesting. Wednesday, plus two and plus four on Wednesday from New right. York Times and Susquehanna. I've seen a few plus fours and I've seen even uh, one plus six. Um, so, you know, average the two, the six, so, I mean, you know, so it's probably a four or five point race, which we should win theoretically. And actually Georgia, let's talk really quick about this. So Georgia, the, um, the sort of free for all race with Warnock, the Democrat versus Loeffler and Collins Loeffler's the sitting Senator who was appointed. Right. And Collins is crazy. Insider trader, now. insider trading is us or us. Yeah, yes. there you go. Um, it uh, two new polls, uh, a local survey USA poll shows Warnock plus four. Kanupiak shows Warnock plus 19. Yeah, I, the, those Quinnipiac polls were too too positive for Democrats. Ooh, yeah. I, I, the too many good results. I have to. I'm just. I'm, I'm discounting those as at the either. They, they even seem to be beyond the very edge of yeah. margin of error. They're just. They. You know. And you know me. Warnock, I, I would love to count them, but I, I don't. I mean, in my head. Warnock has been ahead most of the polls since end of September. Then right. you get, but what's interesting is before that, a lot of polls, a lot of polls leaning to the Republicans before that. 
So, so here's here's what's an interesting factor that's unique to that race in Georgia, Lieberman? which is what Lieberman dropping out. Well, did he even drop out? I don't know if he dropped he out, but meaning support shifted from Lieberman. Right, Lieberman when Lieberman was refusing to drop out, as only Lieberman family members can do. That yeah. um, is Joe's <laughs> yeah. son, like yeah. father, like son. Um, but what happened there was to people tried nicely to ask him to leave and then he was an asshole and actually sent out a series of tweets about why he needed to represent his voters for the fuck they were and so and he was at about 13 percent or 12 percent that was endangering our guy because it's a jungle primary everybody runs in the same primary top two goes to the well unless you i'm assuming unless you get 50 or if you get 50 if you get over 50 percent you win yes yeah um but but what happened then is that basically everybody dropped a, a metaphorical, and I don't mean this real, bomb on Lieberman, which I'm so happy about. Barack and Michelle Obama came in and endorsed Warnock. Stacey Abrams endorsed Warnock. I believe uh, Jimmy Carter, obviously long, you know, president and longtime Georgia resident, and right. endorsed Warnock. I think the Clintons did, like everyone did. And boom, um, it seems to have made the difference because because Lieberman literally, the last one I saw is at 3%, completely crashed his polling, and Warnock started to spike. The other thing that happened, uh, which is which again, they may have time to recover from this somewhat, they may not, is that because it's a jungle primary and, and everybody has to try to be in the top two, well, if you're trying to consolidate your base, who's your biggest rival? The other person in your party. So Collins and Loeffler have been beating the shit out of each other, which has been so much fun to watch. And so they've been raising each other's negatives. I will at least give Matt Lieberman credit on that, but he hasn't really been attacking Warnock. He just refused to get out of the race. And because they've been beating the crap out of each other, the end result is, is that, you know, swing voters, other folks like that have been getting disgusted by both of them and moving to Warnock. Now, will he hold on to them? That's the question. But as of right now, it's considered, you know, the, a toss-up whether he's the he's the last the last one standing in the end. Why or not. did we not hear a lot about that race until now? Was he just well? I guess look at the polls. He wasn't really doing so great until mid-September. Right. Part of it was he, you know, new to new, you know, not a huge name, even though preacher at, at the famous um, what do you call it? I can't think of the name. I never kind Ebenezer of Ebenezer Baptist. Himself. Yes, the church where Martin Luther huh? King. I mean, I, God, I wish I could write an ad. Yeah. The ad I would write. For I know him. that's like that's the preacher. I mean, if, if you can't people, yeah, if you can't tie into that and make people emotional, which they probably did, and maybe that had something to do with it. But, but I think what happened was is it got lost in the fact that there's so many races up for grabs, and Georgia had not started moving in our direction yet. So Georgia was still considered the same kind of reach that you know, let's say a Texas or a Montana or whatever. And uh, well, Montana's unique because of the candidate we have there. But in terms of a state, it was sort of a, and, and then it moved to being a full toss up. And I think, and then Collins and what's her name started to beat the crap out of each other. And then all the endorsements dropped. And all three of those things sent his numbers soaring. He raised a whole bunch of money, and that changed the dynamic completely. Um, some of the value we theoretically provide on this show is that we find out stuff that we're not supposed to know. And so oh, well. I will tell you that reputable people on the inside um and again it doesn't mean this is the way it's going to come out in the end but reputable people on the inside have Ossoff in that other race there at 51 percent, so that theoretically if that were held right now he would win straight out and he would be the senator from georgia Um, that's what the kanupiak poll shows him at 51 that's correct and i didn't believe it from the kanupiak part but i do believe it from what i've heard from 
other folks and uh, about internal polling and things right. like that. Huh. So, um, you know, I guess we'll see. Um, it's, uh, but there's just no doubt that like, you can't go wrong. I mean, they're literally, I would say at this point are, you know, 14, 15 races we could potentially win. Now you named something important, a second race that we, we wish hadn't become more competitive did in Michigan because they happen to have a very talented candidate who also, you know, does what's so classically Republican is like, hi, I'm the black Republican. You should like me. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we, we've got the black Republican, the gay Republican, the Jewish Republican. They always play that up. Um, and and so I think probably some of it's that, but he does seem to be a good candidate. He has raised money. Uh, I think what thankfully this, that that race is taking place in Michigan and let's say and not Georgia or a place that's more of a swing state, more cl- that's closer because Trump has pulled all TV, doesn't have the money. He's pulled TV from Wisconsin and Michigan. So at this point, if you had to guess what what Trump's strategy is, it's to let Wisconsin and Michigan go and hold everything else from last time and barely get over 270. He needs to hold Pennsylvania and Georgia and Texas and Ohio and Iowa and Florida and North Carolina, you know, and anything else I'm missing. And but I think the polling has got to be such and he doesn't have enough money. So he's pulled his 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 advertisements from from uh, Michigan and Wisconsin and written them off. He similarly has pulled his advertising from Ohio and Iowa and is just taking a chance. Yeah. And, and it's saying, you know, cause he doesn't have the money to do it. So he's, he, he's behind in a big way in a number of Sunbelt States where he can't be, you know, Florida, North Carolina, Arizona, even Georgia now, uh, maybe Texas cause he's ramped up some spending there, you know? So, I mean, like, that's that's what they're that's what they're hoping to pull off. So in the end, that really helps Gary Peters to not have Trump on the air there, um, and to have now people coming in and getting his back and whatever. But so that's the only negative thing that's happened. That's closer than we'd like it to be. I still think up yeah. six in a state that now uh, Biden is probably going to win by I think close to ten points, if not that, puts him in a very good a very good spot because of yeah. the state that we're in. Um, and, and again, least- like. Uh, besides, and, say, and again, like the SP race, we could win. The gross race now in Alaska, we could win. The right. Bollier race, we're actually ahead in two polls in a row in, in Kansas. We have a great chance of winning. Like these, this is all insane. Well, and let me put a finer point on it. What I was going to say is what seems really good is we're not seeing things tighten that much, if at all. Um, I was looking, as you were talking, <clears throat> I was looking at a number of the races, the overall polls in the states, and for several of the races like Ossoff's, it's been getting tighter. Um, you know, uh, Lindsey Graham has been getting tighter. You're seeing over the last, and what's interesting is it started the beginning of October. Not all of them. In a number of the Senate races, the, the polls are sort of flat where they were, right, for the last couple of weeks. But in a number of them, they've gotten tighter, and the Democrats are doing better, and the Republicans are starting to do worse. That's and I just am wondering whether we're seeing... We're actually seeing a wave grow or maybe Trump's wave crash, but there's seems to be something negative. I sort of prefer to look at things that way, sort of holistically with a, a bit of a vibe, because it's, uh, you know, one of the things that worries me with good polls isn't just whether they're right, but the whole idea of, oh, yeah, we're doing well now. But what if we peaked early and things go really bad? So far, we're not seeing that much tightening. Right. Cliff, well, right? not no, yet. we're not. We're we not. And, 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 and there's an important factor here that we haven't uh, mentioned in as much detail that we normally talk about in the show, which is uh, a number of epidemiologists have said we're now officially in the second wave of, of COVID. 
Right. Uh, right. I mean, it is spiking everywhere. Um, and this was always the danger, especially in the northern half of the country, that as soon as the weather started to cool and we had to do more of the things that we've done, more school had to be indoors, you know, more concerts, this and that, which we haven't, which not every state is shut down because we've got fucking idiots running some of our states that this was going to happen. But it's also happening now in states that have handled it well, because inevitably, as more stuff is indoors, this is going to spread more. It is the way it is. It sucks. Um, but th there, there's a reason that these things tend to come in waves. And more people, sadly, are in my position now, which is they have a family member or a friend who have either gotten COVID. Uh, it, or, well, I think almost – I'd say probably most people know somebody who've gotten it. Yeah. But, you know, I had a cousin die. And uh, I think a lot of people are now being put in that position where they – you know, did you see that bartender – in in wisconsin yeah. i mean yeah. he, he's his, i think yeah. it's his dad i mean trump came in there and breathed his cooties and everybody and so did all of his people they refused to wear masks and now the guy's dad is in the icu i mean uh, and i think i'd have to look in but i think the, the reason why they had trump and all of them in there is because they were trump voters they're no longer trump voters um i mean that's what i'm saying like i, I don't wish this upon anybody I'm doing this as a political analyst. I have sympathy yeah. for anybody who comes down with this, except for maybe the, the few people at the top who knew, like Donald Trump, who I have no sympathy well, you, for. You but go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I'm, but I'm just saying politically, that's part of this, right? Is oh, that no, it was I Trump's was... debate, Trump getting COVID and COVID spiking all around the same time. And you've seen Trump's numbers and those of Republican senators and Republican House members all the way down. Right. Literally all of them yeah. together see a three to yeah. four point just collapse or more. Yep. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, also, well, A, right, there's the issue of it feels like there's a bit of a collapse going on on their side, which is great. Also, you know, we may all have underestimated COVID for its election impact in the sense that we already know that we kind of fell for a lie uh, in terms of Trump's anti-mask stuff. Yep. We kind of fell for, oh, boy, the country really is divided on this, right? I mean, oh, all the, all the images of Karens in stores refusing. I mean, we almost... They almost convinced – they convinced me for a while. I was like, god damn it, people really aren't as good about masks until you see these polls where it's like 75% of people support masks and support a mask mandate, right? I mean really, really strong stuff that you kind of wonder whether that also means we're underestimating the damage, yep. the mishandling of this virus could cause Trump because we keep thinking, well, half the country thinks he did a good job and the other half like us you know, don't, but – the point John, you know, this we, is where I'd say, right? that, I mean, we're that, forgetting the, about independence. Yeah, maybe Republicans well, think it's not just independence. Job. Like, what the people who are anti mask are to take a phrase that Nixon, Trump, and every Republican has tried to use and but change it for what it really is. They're a really fucking loud minority. Yeah, is what they yeah. are. They're not a silent, they are loud as shit minority who make you think by their the fact that they're such unbelievable assholes and scream and yell about it that somehow. You know that that they represent a real opinion, and this is where, when you're seeing the numbers with three specific groups that come to mind right away, suburban women, they've got kids in school. You know, they 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 you know, they themselves are likely often suburban white women. Let's be clear, often a college education, this kind of thing. That's one group, college-educated whites in general, and that includes Republicans because I can tell you I have some Republican friends. You know, I don't know any of them right now who, who will look me in the face and tell me they're voting for Trump or they're, they're, they've ceased to be my friends, sadly. There are people who were kicking it around, but if, if you were rah-rah Trump, you know, I can't – I mean it's not about politics and it's about values. It's sort of begrudging like I'm a Republican, blah, blah, blah. 
All these folks who are college-educated Republicans are now running away, and that's one of the big issues because they still believe in science. Yes, they're not like you and me, John. They want their taxes lower. They don't believe in, the same, in a lot of the same policies we do, but they do believe basically in science. And they, they, they no, their kids are in, are, are, are in virtual school right now. They're not able to do, they've lost their job, or they're not able to do st- what they want to do. So that's the college-educated voters. And then the third huge, I can't tell you how important, because especially because they all vote seniors. And so when you look at that, you have to believe that, that a lot of it is the rejection of science, the results of the rejection of science, and that COVID has essentially changed, and Donald Trump's reaction to it. And that is where to circle, to you know, square this circle, so to speak, why even though it's an insult to democracy and it shouldn't be this way, Trump getting as much airtime as he's gotten and as weak moderators as he's gotten has actually helped us and hurt them, right. ironically enough, because he can't help himself. Any other politician who doesn't have to scream, I ordered the code red because they have such a fucking small penis, Pence, you know, name any of them, even Ted Cruz would go out there if they realized they'd done damage and their end goal was to win and would do whatever it took to win. And they'd go out there and lie and pretend they respect masks and they're doing everything that's necessary. Trump cannot bring himself because of his fragile little ego, even though it's best for his campaign, cannot bring himself to do that. So every time he gets on stage, he reminds people again, like he did last night when he was like, oh, 80% of people that wear masks have got the, you know, and he starts making up numbers and attacking masks like he did during the debate. Like he does... He just he can't not do it. And that just sends these three groups we're talking about further and further into our arms every time. All right. I'm ready to wrap up unless you got anything important to add. But I mean, I think we sort of hit everything. Uh, we, we've hit the hour and 10 or 15 minute mark. I've, I've yeah, all I've got an to hour say. 15. We're good. Um, Victoria was great. We got that part in here. So we're glad to, to hopefully provide some uh, some interesting uh, content yeah. for you folks there that we haven't normally gotten. Um, um, uh, different, different look at the election, and uh, we'll keep keep on keep keeping on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's we're we're, try, we're struggling even for words now. I was doing that on purpose, <laughs> uh, you know. I'm just goofing around. No, I mean, there's not there. You know, we're we're all in this. It was more a joke about. We got two and a half weeks left. Let's finish this off and 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 just think of that night, sure. guys. Think of if you remember the the Ewok celebrating when the Death Star is blown up. Like, just oh, think right. of what that night will be like for us if we right. knock out better, Trump and win the Senate back and all that. I mean, but with ugh. better music, with better music. Yes, it won't be that goofy stuff on like the well, I don't know what those instruments they were playing sound like flutes. In any case, that's all I got. Yep. All right, guys, we will. Uh, it's Friday now. Yes, yeah, so we'll see you Monday or Tuesday. All right. Take care, guys. And now a word from our sponsor. There's so many changes going on in the world nowadays. It feels like every day there's something new, but there's one thing you can count on, John. It's that looking good makes you feel good, and we could all use a little bit of that. If you have (laughs) under-eye bags, dark circles, or crow's feet, and I'm not letting up number 11s now just because it's not here. I'm mentioning number 11s. Imagine they're gone without making an appointment or leaving the house. It's called Plexiderm. It's a clinically studied serum that visibly reduces the signs of aging in 10 minutes and lasts up to 10 hours. I'll let you all do the math on that. You've seen the before and after photos photos on TV and social media. Add some confidence in your life knowing you look your best even if you're having a makeup-free day. Plexiderm goes on clear so nobody will know you're using it, unless you tell them, of course. That's why guys like it. And Plexiderm works great with oil-free makeup. 
Today, order. You can try a six-day application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit. All right, here we go, guys. www.buyplx.com backslash voices. That's www.buyplx.com backslash voices. Or call 800-685-1292 and give the code voices. Order today and shipping is free and backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Again, make those wrinkles and lines and under-eye bags. And number 11, disappear with Plexiderm. Visit www.buiplx.com backslash voices or call 800-685-1292 and say the code voices at checkout. Bam. All right. Bam.